Well, we all had some preconceived notions about Dan Lanning when he got hired away from Georgia, winning a national championship as their defensive coordinator. And right now, a lot of those positive inclinations are kind of coming true. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. If you want to drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, appreciate that as well. We've got so many questions to answer today. And they all come from the mailbag, where you can get any time. The mailbag is like chock full of questions. But guess what? We're bringing you content daily, year-round. And so you've always got time to get in the mailbag, get a question answered here on the show. YouTube comments or on Twitter, at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. Tanya Shipley, a great one. She says, another question. She asked one previously. See how this works? You can send multiple questions. One might get answered now, one later. Kind of depends on how the show flows. She asks, another question. When Lanning was first announced as coach, what initial thought about him did you have? And has that since been reinforced or proven not entirely accurate? Ooh, ooh, hard-hitting question here from Tanya. I'm so unbelievably here for it. So let's start with the preconceived notions about Dan Lanning. Young, energetic guy, up-and-comer in the coaching industry. In a lot of ways, that appears to be true. Also had the inclination that he was a brilliant defensive mind, that he is a brilliant defensive mind, that he was the orchestrator. He was the defensive play caller along with Kirby Smart. Now, he was the play caller. Kirby signs off and whatnot, but that those two were kind of co-conductors of the greatest defense we've ever seen in college football led Georgia to the national championship game. And then they won the national championship. So you got to thinking like, hey, he made Bryce Young's life kind of tough. The game ended with a Bryce Young pick six. Boy, that's not an easy thing to do. So Lanning was seen by by some, maybe not all, as somewhat of a defensive mastermind in that sense. Then you talk about what it takes to build that sort of defense. What do you have to do? You got to recruit. And that's where the young, energetic passion comes in, where you can recruit at a high level and get the sorts of players who can help you build that sort of defense. So those are kind of the, the, the two big notions, really, that he was a young, energetic, talented recruiter, and then he was a defensive mastermind because he had been the head coach or the second highest head coach, I guess, on the defensive side of the ball for Georgia en route to a national championship. Now, one of those things has proven to be more true to this point than others, but one of them might have just needed some time. So the defensive mastermind piece, I don't think Lanning has hit his ceiling as a head coach. I do not think that he has gotten there yet. Because when you look at what his defenses did at Georgia and what Oregon's defense did a season ago, schematically they look very similar. But it did it look like Oregon had the personnel to really maximize what he's trying to get out of his defense, why he runs that scheme, the coverages, the blitzes, the pressures, and everything like that? 
The answer, I think we would all give a resounding no, they did not. Hence the recruiting front, which I'll touch on in a moment. Now, was I disappointed in Oregon's defense in year one? Very much so. Because although Lanning didn't have the sorts of players across the board that he maybe wanted to have in there, but will in year two, because this is a completely revamped defense. I mean, you're going to have at least one new starting linebacker. You're going to have a bunch of returning production at corner, but you're going to have a couple new safeties in there. You got new defensive linemen. You're making changes across the board and bringing guys who you feel can help your defense and build it in the mold that you want the defense to be cast off of. So I think in year one, it was mildly disappointing, but not a complete and total letdown, right? I talked about this on a past episode of the show. show. Everydayers will uh, perhaps remember it. But Oregon's defense struggled in key moments and statistically in 2022. But they were not as bad as the numbers indicate. If you go back and look at the numbers, they were kind of like middle to just below the middle of the pack in, in a number of defensive metrics. And then they were near the top of the conference when it came to rushing yards allowed per game. But points allowed, yards allowed, passing yards allowed, these were areas where Oregon struggled more than we would like them to going forward. But there were also certain scores over the course of the the 2022 season where the defense played well for extended periods of time, allowed the offense to build a big lead, and then the defense would, you know, get a little bit soft and allow some garbage time points and whatnot. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't quite as bad as as we remember it. There were just some really, really painful moments, which I'll get to here in here in just a sec. But you had 38 to 7 against BYU, 31 to 3 against Stanford. I think it was like 35 to 10 against Cal. Like the defense was not all bad. It just wasn't all great the way that we needed to need it to be in order to get back to the college football playoff. But I think it was a mild letdown in the sense that I felt that Oregon's personnel in 2021 was good enough to be better than it was, but that the the schematical approach and the in-game adjustments just weren't quite there. And I think that in year one, it was a little bit of a disappointment on that front, right? Most notably, the Washington and Oregon State games. Now, Washington, I don't think was as much on the coaching staff as, as Oregon State was, because in the Washington game, Washington's got a really talented receiving core. They've got a really good quarterback, a great offensive line, and I think their offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, who will be a head coach at the Power 5 level come 2024, I think that guy's really, really sharp. So you just got beat for more yards than you should have allowed for sure, but you got beat. Washington made plays, and there were some personnel moments. Bennett Williams, of course, having a couple of tough sequences there, allowing long touchdowns, where it's like, all right, the other team kind of made a play on that front. The Oregon State game, though, it didn't, you know, make me feel wildly concerned or pessimistic about Lanning's ability to, you know, be a great defensive coach and put together a, a truly dominant defense. But at some point, the head coach on the headset, when Oregon State was literally not throwing the ball, needed to come in and say, put eight guys in the box, play cover zero, do not let them run the football, make them throw it. And just, like there, it, it just felt like there were no adjustments in that game. 
it was just run, 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 run. And it's not like there were all sorts of runs. It's not like it was the old school Georgia Tech triple option or anything like that. So that game was also a disappointment. Do I put it on Tosh Lupoy because he's a play caller and defense coordinator? Yes. But you also put some of that on Dan Lanning. He's the head coach, can override at any point in time. So that was disappointing. The Washington game was disappointing. But it's not all negative on year one Dan Lanning's performance there as in terms of how it related to the expectations I had for him. I will tell you why after I tell you you won't be disappointed if you go to FanDuel because it's America's number one sports book. And you can make a fast break to the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. They've got a great app with promotions. It's safe, secure, super easy to use, great interface. You get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get a no-sweat first bet up to $1 thousand dollars that's fanduel.com slash locked on fanduel official sports betting partner of the nba need a sip of water here sometimes i get going on a rant and then my throat's tired can't have that so the optimism that i would like to present for to kind of counter and balance and be fair towards the somewhat negative segment of of today's show that I just wrapped up is the Utah game. Do you remember how the Utah game went in 2021? Yeah. Oh, right. There were two games in 2021. What were the final scores combined of those two games? Who can give it to me? I'm recording the show. None of you are talking to me live. It was 76 to 17. Those were the two scores, 76 to 17. And in year one, Dan Lanning came in and beat Utah 20 to 17. And seven of those points for Utah came courtesy of Oregon's offense. So do I think it's all doom and gloom and negativity and pessimism on the Dan Lanning defensive mastermind front? No, I do not. It's why I'm encouraged about what we saw in the spring game and excited to see what year two looks like on the defensive side of the ball because I expect to see more tangible growth. I thought we'd see more in 2022. There were a lot of the same issues we saw from the prior year, most notably not getting pressure without Kayvon Thibodeau and not getting off the field on third down. Those two things often coincided, but there were a lot of things we saw last season from Oregon's defense, particularly in that Utah game where you went, I haven't seen Oregon's defense play like this since 2019. We hadn't. We just had not seen that. Oregon also blew teams out in 2022 in ways they had not the prior year. All of that, I think, is positive, is encouraging, and is something we should feel good about with regards to Lanning's coaching prowess on uh, just, just, just in general as a head coach. Now, I'll talk about a couple other things with Lanning here because we've got more questions to get to. But as I pivot to the next point with Lanning, from a recruiting standpoint, I hear him coming from Georgia, right? Going back to December 2021 when the hire was announced. Coming from Georgia, national championship game, young guy, big energy. I had pretty high expectations on the recruiting front. There is nothing you can point to at this point in time, whether that's how the 2022 class was salvaged into a top 25 most notably getting Josh Connerly, the number one offensive tackle, who looks like our left tackle of this year and next year. 
a top 10 class in 2023 and 2024 is off to a sizzling recruiting start. All of that stuff has met or probably even exceeded my expectations. So to concisely answer your two questions here, uh, Tanya, or your question, which I kind of devised in two points, recruiting, we are exceeding expectations. And from a coaching standpoint, just below meets expectations. I think that's a pretty fair assessment, but I'm curious what all of you think. Drop it in the YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. On that note, we'll stay with our beloved Dan the Man Lanning here, who I do think has plenty of room to grow as a head coach. I think he knows that. Made some mistakes, more so in the eyes of some than others uh, with, with the aggressive play, but a couple questions here from Blazer Duck. one about Lanning. He's the most reliable question asker I've got about there. He's the gold standard, just so all of you know out there that there is a gold standard. If you've answered this on your show and I may have missed it, then you don't need to answer it. No worries. Spencer, what are your thoughts and impressions of Dan Lanning after year one with regards to thing like when and how he utilized his timeouts? <laughs> Clock management, cough, cough, Mario, <laughs> in-game halftime adjustments. I think these things get overlooked because it ultimately comes down to wins and losses, but these are so crucial. What areas do you feel he needs to improve in year two? Thanks. Well, I think defensive adjustments are a part of it, right? Because Washington and Oregon State felt like they were just doing the same stuff and we had no response, no answer. And I, I'm not you know, privy to what the game plan was, what the play calls were and everything like that. I'm just reacting to the on-field product. I remember, and when you're talking about the gold standard of halftime adjustments for a defensive coordinator, you know who I'm going to talk about. It's Nick Aliotti. Nick Aliotti in the second half never allowed more than seven and ten points, it felt like. Those are the sorts of things that I think a really, really great defensive coach can do is go into the halftime locker room, make some changes, make some tweaks, and figure that stuff out at a high level. I think Lanning can still improve on that front, but it's not as if we never saw it, right? Utah game, great example, right? As I was talking about, I think the North Carolina game, by the way, was a really good defensive effort where again, you had a couple of moments with a long touchdown in which Bennett Williams was involved. And hopefully the back end speed of the defense has, has ticked up a notch to the point where that doesn't happen again. You had a game in which Oregon did make adjustments and it looked like the defense was really bad early. And then they figured it out. They made changes. They got stops. They got off the field on third down. They got pressure and they were going up against a quarterback in Drake May, who's going to be a top five pick in next year's draft. So I think that sort of stuff still has plenty of room to grow, right? Most notably the Oregon state game. Like that was just infuriating to watch it was outside zone left outside zone right inside zone left inside zone right and and we couldn't stop them like that was inexcusably bad but i don't expect that to happen again because i think that lanning is still or i know that lanning is still a young coach he's a first time head coach lots of things to learn you can talk about fourth down decisions you can talk about time management and whatnot but i'll talk about the fourth down decisions in a moment but the other things that you mentioned timeouts, clock management. Um, those are key components of being a head coach, right? More so than being a defensive coordinator. That's that's one of the biggest things. You're in charge of managing all that stuff. You make the decisions. Do we go for it? Do we kick it? What do we want to call? What do we feel like? 
all that sort of stuff comes down to the head coach. And I felt that Lanning, when you're talking about clock management, look, he made some aggressive calls. They paid off a lot early in the year. They didn't pay off later in the year. But if you look at what Oregon dominated during that eight-game winning streak a season ago, and this was really impressive, I think, and speaks to, again, more encouragement on the adjustments front, Oregon in that eight-game stretch dominated the middle eight. I would text my buddies every time the game was close, like the cow game, for instance, right? It was still close. The Bears were hanging around because they're cow and they're pesky and annoying. I would text him and I'd just say, middle eight, please. Like, that's what I was hoping for. Because in the middle eight, Oregon was dominating. And that, I think, is the mark of a good head coach. Again, as I've discussed, still room to grow. But when you dominate at the end of the half, it means you've got a game plan. It means you've worked on that sort of stuff. They were well coached. They executed, drove down the field. How many times did Oregon go down and add to a lead right before the half? BYU, Stanford, Cal. Those are just the ones that pop into my head. I'm sure there were other ones, right? I think Arizona, they did that. And then they would just run away with games. And that was, I think, the best part about Lanning's first year as Oregon's head coach. They would run away with games that they should have run away with. And that didn't exist the prior year, but we saw that. And that takes both sides of the ball. You got to get stops. You got to force turnovers, make plays, and then you got to execute offensively and be well coached up front. And I thought Oregon really, really was. So I like that. And then the timeout usage. I, I don't remember an instance in which I felt, you know, Oregon really mismanaged their timeouts. Maybe the Washington game, the fourth and one, you'd like to have maybe called a timeout. You know, Bo came racing up to him. Hey, hey, I'm okay. I can go back in. Yeah, you'd rather have your starting quarterback out there and call the timeout. I think it was a split second move and it was kind of, you know, hard to tell whether or not he had the opportunity to really call that timeout or what. So I, I think all that stuff was really good. I think it was all really, really good, and there were so many, so many encouraging things, but still room to grow for for landing in in year one. Oh, oh boy, that was a lot of landing talk. Again, I need another sip from this wonderful cup of water. Fun fact: I'm at my parents' house, and these are the same cups I've been drinking out of since I was like eight years old. They're the best. I mean, they just serve their purpose so tremendously well. So, another blazer duck question here. Uh, Spencer, if Bo Nix can stay healthy the whole season and with what Dan Lanning's been able to do through recruiting and the portal this offseason and what you saw in the spring game, I was very impressed with what I saw, especially with the defense, he says. I was as well, as we've discussed. Does your overall win total expectations for the upcoming season change? Thanks, Spencer. So, first of all, thank you for the question, Blazer Duck. Second, here's the answer. Just a little. Just a little. I I struggle to get on big hype trains. You know, last year when Oregon was in the midst of their winning streak, there were people who thought, hey, Oregon could go to the playoff. And I was more, I try to be a glass half full kind of guy, but it was a half empty Spencer at that time, right? I was coming on the show saying, look, I, I, I see the path to the playoff. I would love for us to do it. I just don't know 
if the defense is ready to get us there. I just don't know if your final three games being Washington, Utah, Oregon State, if you're going to win all of those and a Pac-12 championship game. I just don't know about that. And, of course, we know how it all went down. So, you know, Josh Pate, for instance, very high in Oregon. Their win total in, in, in Vegas looks pretty darn high at this point in time. They've generated a lot of buzz, interest, intrigue. I think they've gotten better from what they were a season ago. But it's hard for me to say, well, I think they could now, you know, go 11 and 1, get to the Pac-12 championship game and then we'll see who the opponent is. They're capable of doing that. But do you know how many things have to go right for that to happen? The answer is a lot. You have to have a lot of things go your way. You got to stay healthy, right? Especially Bo Nix. Like, started the, started the question Blazer Duck did with, if Bo Nix can stay healthy, that's an if. Because guess what? He got hurt last year. If he doesn't, Oregon probably never loses to Washington because as long as he'd been on the field in the second half, Oregon had been moving the ball flawlessly and had been unstoppable offensively it was a total shootout then we lost our quarterback we got stopped they kicked the field goal we remember all that sort of stuff painfully but that's an if number one sometimes you need a break you got to win a bunch of big games and remember the pac-12 is really really good the pac-12 is stacked in their inaugural or their uh their <laughs> definitely not their inaugural season that's gonna be in 2024 this iteration of the Pac-12, their swan song, right? Fat lady singing, music is playing them off the stage at the Oscars. They are absolutely loaded. And Oregon's schedule, I think, is manageable. I like that they basically alternate a game where there be a big where they will be a big favorite and where they will be an underdog or a uh, or or a small favorite where it'll be a tougher game. It's kind of like tough, easier, tough, easier. Nothing comes easy in this conference, though. Um, I don't think Colorado and Stanford are going to be very good. But other than that, aren't there many bad teams? Arizona State might not be that good, but they'll be better than last year, at least. And last year, they beat Washington, which we weren't able to do. So uh, I, I think the conference is is really, really tough. And I, I think the hype train for Oregon is really, really high right now because you looked at what they didn't do well a season ago, their defensive line, pass rush, and defense overall, and it looks like that's improved dramatically. Okay, that's great. But there are still so many other factors in play that I, I'm not, you know, out over my skis like, boy, it's, you know, win the Pac-12 championship or or bust. Like, get to the Pac-12 championship game? Yeah, I, I, I think that's, a pretty reasonable expectation, but then who you play in there, it it, it depends because there are a lot a lot of really good teams. So I'm not like all aboard the hype train. I'm excited about this year, the prospect of what it could be, but I don't have expectations of you know when 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 Marcus was there. Every year that Marcus was there, it was okay. If we don't get to the national championship game, what are we doing here? Because this guy is unbelievable, right? And his second year that didn't happen because he got hurt late in the year perfect example but then his third year of course it all came together hopefully uh we get closer to the third one uh there this season last question i love this one because it comes from our friends to the north which i'm closer to now i'm in the state of washington so i'm closer to you my friend james hathaway hey spencer it's your listener from up here in canada no, I was going to start singing the National Anthem of Canada, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, again, with a question for you. Of the teams on the college football schedule this year, 
who you would take the most delight in seeing get completely completely curb stomped by the Ducks, who would it be? You can't say Washington as that is a given. For me, it's Colorado right now, as I'm sick of Dion already. Keep up the good work. I will be catching the show from England for the next two weeks as I need a constant fix of duck news and commentary. And yes, you thought it unusual to be a committed Canadian duck fan. Well, it gets more out there as I'm also a British expat and former college football player and coach also. I tell you, you guys who listen to this show or watch it on YouTube, you are the best, most interesting, and thought-provoking people I think I've ever come across in my life. And that's saying something. Because that is... How about that resume? I need to run through that just one more time. <laughs> just, I'll be watching the show from England for the next two weeks as I need a constant fix of duck news and commentary. And yes, you thought it unusual to be a committed Canadian duck fan. Well, it gets more out there as I'm also a British expat and former college football player and coach also. What a resume. That is a heck of a resume there. So my answer to this question, aside from the obvious, I think you left out Oregon State because you always want to curb stomp your rivals. The answer to this question is Texas Tech. The answer to this question is not Texas Tech because I have some deep-seated passion of hatred for the Red Raiders. I don't. The answer is Texas Tech for two reasons. Number one, you go on the road, you win at Lubbock, and you dominate against a team that was an eight-win program a season ago. It's going to put you on the map in the college football playoff discussion in a pretty significant way. That's the first reason. The second reason kind of builds on that. If we can go on the road and beat Texas Tech badly, I don't anticipate that happening, by the way. But let's say we walk out of there with a 37-17 or 35-17 victory, 38-17, whatever. Like, let's say it's in that sort of range where both sides of the ball just look completely dominant and great. It would hard to then not be excited about the prospect of what the season could become. That's when the hype train for me could really take off. I know this is going to come as a shock, but Portland State is not going to move the needle for me, right? I hope we avoid injuries, win by a million, have no sweats, and get to see a lot of young guys take the field. But that week two game against Texas Tech, I would look at that one. I bet you a popular pick from some of you uh, fans out there watching on YouTube who can always drop thoughts in the comments will be Arizona State to stick it to Kenny Dillingham. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. But I think Texas Tech, I, I think that's going to be such a clear picture of, like, it's not as personal, you know, like I don't have a personal reason why I would want to win that game. But just from a, a fan standpoint, I think that's the game where you look at and go, Boy, if you win that one and you're dominant doing it away from Austin Stadium, it would be hard to not feel super excited about what Oregon could do. But a lot of great games on that schedule. The other one, actually, now as I say it, I think Texas Tech has got to be a 1B. Because I just remembered, and I bet you some of you have commented this already, because I kind of overlooked it. The answer is USC. Okay. The, 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 answer is, the answer is USC. You'd love to be, beat the crap out of Washington or Oregon State, of course, because they're your rivals and it feels a little bit better. But USC, 
the school that ignited all this realignment stuff. Yeah. I'll go with USC. I got Texas Tech right on their heels, though. But I'll take USC because that that would feel this being their last year in the Pac-12. Caleb Williams won the Heisman. Lincoln Riley. It's at Autzen Stadium too. Give me give me that Trojans game again. Not likely. Texas Tech is more likely to be a blowout. But if I had to pick one other than the rivalry games. Let's go with uh, let's go with the Trojans there. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.